You are listening to the Pragmatic Christian Podcast with your host, Hayden Bruce. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This conversation was recorded October 2nd of 2018, so it's a little bit older of a conversation. My uh, Some of my opinions and views have evolved since then. But I wanted to release it as an ongoing part of my series with those guys, to Atheist and a Christian. And the whole point of these conversations is an experiment in how to have interreligious dialogue, how to have conversations, civil and productive conversations with people who think really differently than you do. Um, and so I've been really enjoying these conversations. And in this one, Adam Hansen joins us. You may remember him from episode three of this show, uh, where we talk about his work as an innovations guy. He helps businesses get through ruts um, and think more create, uh, creatively. And his book is Outsmart Your Instincts, which I will um, put a link in the show notes. So before we get into this conversation, I just want to encourage you to go over to iTunes to rate and review us. Uh, That really helps us and all podcasters out in ways that I don't even completely understand, but it does. Um, And you can go follow us on Twitter at Pragmatic Christ. And if you have any feedback, positive or negative, you can comment at the bottom of the episode page on the website, pragmaticchristian.com. Um, I will have links to everything that these guys do at the bottom of the show notes, um, or in the show notes, I mean. So without any further ado, uh, here's my conversation with Andrew Meinzer, Ed Kennedy, and Adam Hansen. Uh, Adam Hansen, I am a, uh, I, I define my overall ontological and epistemological approach as seeker without portfolio. I was a very active Mormon for about seven years. I did go on a mission to Ecuador, and that's why I'm fluent in Spanish still. Um, uh, but then it all just kind of quit working for me. I think it, it, at least due in part to what I do for a living, which is I'm an innovation consultant. I'm always asking questions. I'm very comfortable with ambiguity. Questions matter so much more to me than answers do. Uh, in a world where answers are uh, becoming a commodity. The value of questions is only going to go up and up, and better questions are going to be more and more valuable. Uh, I say seeker without portfolio because a lot of people who've gone through the faith transition, like I have, have headed straight to atheism, and I just reject the construct. I just I find it. Uh, I just find it the theism atheism divide could not be less interesting to me. Uh, uh, and to my humble opinion, too much time is spent on that. I think in all, ter- in all practicality, I probably end up lining up more with those who would um, call themselves atheists. But I still, uh, I don't need the, I don't need the answers. I'm fine not having the answers. Uh, I, I focus my um, attentions on those things that I think I can do something about. And um, so, yeah, that's where I net out. So seeker without portfolio is where I, I am. That's very, um, that's very pragmatic of you. Um, that's, a, that's interesting. We never really, I, I heard you mention uh, that you used to be Mormon, I think on Hayden's podcast before. And you and I never got into that the first time we talked here on my podcast. So that's, that's interesting. And I, it's interesting what you were just saying there about um, the, 
the distinction between uh, theism and atheism, because I think that that's also a very pragmatic perspective, too, because I was uh, I was talking with Eric Hunley and Dusty, who you all know after the last mixed mental arts chat the other day. And uh, basically, Eric Hunley was saying that he thinks I'm an agnostic because I don't claim to know 100% that there is no God. I just don't believe that there is any God, but I can't prove that. And ultimately, it doesn't really matter how we label ourselves because we can't know for sure whether any gods exist or not anyway. I mean, they, that, that, that's, a, that's a misunderstanding. I mean, one is a claim of knowledge, claim to knowledge, and one is a belief claim. They're two separate. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's why I personally well, still call myself an atheist. Everybody's but, an agnostic, but not everybody is an atheist, right? I mean, no one has the knowledge. They may claim to the knowledge, but I could argue that everybody's yeah. agnostic, but everybody yes. else. Where I will line up with atheists quite often is just on the general notion, but I think it's just good uh, epistemological hygiene, uh, that uh, big claims need big support. Yeah, yeah. and I I just, uh, I I think one can be very religious without being a credulous um, doofus. And uh, I think certainly the kind of direction where, where Hayden's going, I find myself, I think, agreeing with Hayden on a whole lot while, I mean, yeah, I don't know. We, we, don't, we don't need to get too derailed on this fine point, yeah. but it's, it is interesting to me. Um, I, when I've been able to talk to other Mormons who have left the church and have headed straight to atheism, I've asked them when the, when it's appropriate and when I can just, you know, get with them one-on-one and I know that uh, they'll take in what I'm saying, but I'll, I'll ask them if in their rush to atheism, if they weren't in some ways just trading in one form of surety for its photo negative. Right. And, and um, I just say, you know, if, if that's meaningful to you, if it helps you get to a better place, great. Uh, at some point, uh, I, I wonder if it quits, if they quit finding meaning in just kind of reiterating that identi- identification and they just kind of get on with life. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting too, because, um, it, it does see, it does seem to be the case that especially if someone used to be hyper religious they, if they lose their faith, they tend to be like the ultimate epitome of <laughs> like militant atheists on their soapboxes about the lack of religion rather than religion. There is well, no at, God. Dude, Shut up, bro. Look, I was a missionary. I mean, I, 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 uh, I interrupted people <laughs> all the time to try to uh, convince them that I had uh, a, a way forward that was better than theirs. And I think I've just basically, I think I've, uh, in the area of, uh, of proselytizing, I think I've, I've, I've given my life's fill, you know, to the cause. And I, I just don't, I don't need to convince anyone anymore. Yeah. That's, that's hard to get over. I think probably maybe even for everyone sometimes, I mean, at least for me, I know that 
I still, especially in online discussions and stuff like that, I still have trouble resisting the urge just getting to arguments, basically, just over, just uh, due to my ego sometimes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it would be... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Ed. I mean, just the thing to remember is atheism is, is you know is empty it's not a philosophy it's just a rejection of someone else's assertion yeah um, yeah anybody going around declaring that there is no god would i would say is potentially falling in to the category just mentioned which if they've abandoned their religion now they're going around saying there is no god i mean these are both unfounded assertions that should be rejected um it's the wrong thing to say in my opinion Simply, I'm not not persuaded by unfounded claims, and and the particular claim in question is the existence uh, of a personal God or a God or gods. Yeah, so yeah. Well, well said. I, I think I think it's. I mean, to me, because I'm I'm not reacting to to a backstory of religion. I mean, I come from a mixed religious background, if that makes any sense. Although nobody in my family was religious. Um. And it's always been this way. Why? I mean, I'm. I mean, I've never really met a Mormon. You're the first one, and and um, I know they're they're like the loveliest people in the world. I mean, the world would be a better place in nine out of ten. Uh, nine out of ten times, the world would be at a better place if there were Mormons instead of fill in the blank. I mean, these are, they're like the loveliest people around. Yeah. I mean, if they knocked on my door, I would definitely talk to them. But boy, it wouldn't be long before I started asking them some pretty direct questions about the. Well, that's, that's what I'd always say is if they ever knock on your door, you know, particularly if it's during summer, have them in, give them a glass of water, a glass of lemonade, you know, just be nice to them, but just be firm and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm pretty cool with what I got. But. Yeah. But we can still be civil. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I have I spoke to Jehovah's Witnesses once uh, was last summer, and it ended up turning into like a two-hour conversation with three women. And I, I told them right from the start, I mean, you're wasting your time with converting me, but I'd love to chat. I mean, they, they, they are so happy to engage. They don't, <laughs> you know, and uh, they had some interesting things. Well, when I say they had some they had some interesting ideas. I mean, not on any of the subject matter, but they wanted to ban the bomb and that's big for them. And I think that's great. You know, I mean, there's, there's aspects. It's a, it's a reminder kind of getting back to why you're here, bro, is, you know, that everybody has something to offer. I mean, um, Bible thumpers don't have all that much in my, for me, but, um, you know, hey, if there's people out there who want to get together and try to ban the bomb, I'm all for it. And if it takes yeah, them yeah. the Old Testament to do it, you know. Yeah, that's the that's basically uh, the, that's basically kind of what what Hayden's religion is, is seems seems like to me. I would say, which is why I have no problem whatsoever with his Christianity, and I don't think it would be. A right for me to have a problem with it anyway unless he was using it as an excuse to harm someone else but basic basically that's the type of mindset that i try to adopt as well like if someone is doing something that i think is 
a pretty great idea and they're doing it because they were inspired by religion then in that case religion is good for them if it cause if it they use it as an excuse to like kill someone or or bomb someone like that then it's probably a bad thing yeah i think um you know i was listening to you guys talk and a couple things were said a lot of really good points were said um we were just talking about you know when people leave the faith um you know that seems to be a common story is that you know someone is extremely faithful someone is extremely dedicated they may even be a fundamentalist and then you know through some way or another they come to have some doubts and then those doubts just sort of pile on and then they leave the faith and I think typically, uh, in most cases, um, you know, and I don't have any numbers to support what I'm saying, but I think, you know, anecdotally, in most cases, people either go in one or two directions, either, you know, they do what we suggested just now, which is they either go from complete fundamentalist Christian to complete fundamentalist atheist, you know, and go on street corners and are, you know, rallying for the cause of, you know, no religion, or uh, on the other side, they go down this path of not believing anymore, uh, but it's not necessarily a positive thing, even though Ed might suggest it is. And what I mean by that is that it's not a positive thing in their life, as in they wish they could believe, they wish there was a God, but they just didn't have the resources for thinking through it in any kind of sophisticated way. And I think that that is the majority of people um, who don't go in the uh, fundamentalist atheist camp. They just go forward because they don't know what else to do. They can't believe anymore because they don't have the resources, you know, that someone like me or many others like me have, which is, you know, just by accident of my personality where I went digging and digging and digging. And I found just all sorts of resources to think through these things. So now for me, I'm at like a point where it's like hard for me to give it up. Like, even though I may want to, sometimes it's hard for me because I'm like, I have a lot of good reasons for thinking that this, you know, still makes sense for someone's life. But I think that a lot of people don't have those resources. And so the question that I'm asking myself a lot lately, and maybe, you know, we can put it to you guys, is if if there are resources for someone having, you know, some sort of faith, um, belief in God or what have you, that leads to a more democratic life, a more um, cooperative life, someone who's intellectually honest, someone who is selfless, gives, someone who is all for the projects and the societal projects and cultural projects that all of we are, um, is that better than just giving it all up, you know, for something that may seem more intellectually honest to some people? That's something that I'm working through and I think is something, you know, that's a pragmatic argument, um, but I am interested in the results and ultimately the results of our society at large, you know, the, the okay. big community that we are all, you know, a part of. Um, yeah. I, I would say, I would say that like for the example of someone like you, Hayden, it seems like whether you're, whether you're Christian or not, or whether you believe in God or not, it seem it seems like that's almost irrelevant to the type of person that you are like you're an intellectually honest person and um i i would say that i, I mean I, i'm just i'm just kind of mind reading here a little bit so full I, i'm just totally speculating but it seems like if you were if you were to not be religious maybe at this point in your life 
I think that uh, I I, th- I think that you like it wouldn't make you a less it at least wouldn't make you a less intellectually honest person or anything like that. But it, I also I also wanted to say um, before before I give both of you guys Ed and Adam a chance to give your answers to that question because I'd be interested in that. Um, uh, in in your examples that you were talking about, Hayden, were you talking about someone who lost their faith, who wishes that they had their faith but don't have it anymore? Um, yeah, you know, through education, through, you know, lifestyle differences, through witnessing really poor uh, lives of actual, you know, committed Christians, you know, hypocrisy. There's a list of number of reasons why people may decide, hey, I think this is all actually bullshit. Okay. So would you say, would you say then, when you were talking about the majority of those people in your example, would you, are, are, maybe I'm getting, maybe I'm getting confused here, because I feel like I might. Are you saying that in those examples, the majority of those people in that example um, are people who have lost their faith but they doubt losing their faith and they wish they had it. Yeah. I'm saying that I would say that the majority of people either, my guess is that the majority of people give up their faith or lose it. They just can't help themselves, but lose it. But it doesn't necessarily add any positivity to their life in any of the other areas other than possibly intellectually, which, you know, Ed may uh, suggest, but it's not actually making them a better person. It's not actually making them a better voter. It's not actually making any of those things. And in fact, it seems to be this huge lack in their being um, that they don't have a fill for, you know, and a lot of scholars have, you know, suggested that after the quote unquote death of God, uh, we entered the age of ideology where people are filling in that hole with, you know, X, Y, and Z ideology, whether it be Marxism, capitalism, uh, leftism, right, you know, whatever the ism is, um, you know, what I want to get around to saying is that I, I think that these questions are all coming from at base, um, a fundamental belief in what kind of human beings we are. I think that everyone deep down has an anthropology. And so for me, I have an anthropology that says that everything we do is done for real reasons. Whether they be good reasons or not is a matter of opinion, but real felt experienceable reasons. And when it comes to religion and lots of the questions that like we talk about here on this show, a lot of those are existential reasons. You know, for me, like I had an existential need to believe in God. And there's a lot of just base reasons, base human reasons for why that is. And so when we have these kind of conversations with people or talk about people, um, you know, or even like make fun of people um, who are like religious or whatnot, which, you know, I'm all for sometimes. <laughs> um, I think that we have to keep in mind that people are doing or believing in these things for real reasons. Um, you know, and that they lead to actually real consequences. And so for me, I actually feel sad when some people lose their faith and they're left with this void and they don't have the resources to really think through things intelligently or in a way that may lead to a better outcome. And then there's other people who lose their faith and they become just the best citizen, the best father, the best person, atheist in the world. And I'm all for that too. 
Uh, I'm not suggesting that becoming, you know, some sophisticated religious person is the best way to live. I, I think it's a hypothesis. Um, and I want to see the evidence, you know, at the end of the day, but, um, but yeah, so these are just thoughts that are in my head. Okay. Um, I'll go in. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You go ahead, Adam. Yeah. So I, I think what is good to do every now and again is take a step back and, try to figure out what we believe we know uh, as of this moment. And so one thing we seem to know is that um, as humans, we do have growth needs. Now, we have those growth needs whether we actually act on them or not. And when we don't, it it can get weird. Uh, And we end up um, kind of supplementing and satisfying those growth needs in uh, in, in some maladaptive ways sometimes. But we certainly have you know, moral uh, development needs, emotional development needs, psych- psychological and, and, and social cultural development needs. Um, for years, for, for I guess centuries, religion kind of had the stranglehold on moral development. And so I think it's helpful now to kind of uh, see if we can disentangle religion and moral development. And if, and if still, if you can use religion to um, as the tool to help you develop morally, that's great. Just be aware that you're not capping out at a certain point, which is that point of everyone who believes as I do are good people and they're the in-group. And then there are all those other people who aren't that. And that's that will retard your moral, I use the verb, not a noun, uh, <laughs> retard your, your development as a person. Now, people can be religious and be on that kind of in-group centric approach, which which too many religions do succumb to. Um, but, you know, you have really great thought, you know, Hayden or, or Ed or, or Andrew, any of you, I don't know if you've ever heard of the work of Lawrence Kohlberg, who did, you know, such great work on moral development. But he says, look, you can you can pretty much take any person through this and see where they net out. There's pre-conventional morals, there's conventional morals, which is true blue, God is in the heavens, our nation is the best nation on earth. And then there's post-conventional. Uh, some people are now pulling into something called post-post, but it's, you know, it's starting to get you know, wrapped around the axle a little. But post-conventional moral development is where we want to end up at some point as adults, where we can actually look at the rules, we can actually look at the norms with which we've been acculturated, and we can actually norm the norms. We can hold the norms critically and at some distance and, and objectively and separate those norms from, from us as individuals and question whether those norms are still serving us or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it doesn't have to be an outright rejection of, of the whole corpus of norms. We can say, no, I'm still buying into you know, 60, 70 percent of it. There's 20, there's a 40 to 30 percent that doesn't seem to work for me anymore and doesn't, is, is, um, isn't adaptive now for me. Uh, and so be, getting an exposure to other ways of thinking, other ways of growing beyond just what you were acculturated with seems to be a pretty smart move. And, you know, that's again, Kohlberg and moral development. You know, you got the great work of Eric Erickson, who was a great developmental theorist uh, as, with respect to adult growth needs. Going beyond Piaget's, just you know, Piaget. We we all can see how kids go through that, but then for years there is this idea that um, you stop <laughs> developing psychologically when you become an adult, and then it's just kind of work and death after that. 
So I think just being aware of this, and uh, I think it is important to find it, find healthy, adaptive ways to continue to develop along all these different lines of development, and just even be aware that they're there, and checking yourself every now and again to see how you're how you're how you're doing. Are you know, are you are you dammed up at a certain point? Um, you know, what might you do to be able to move on? Yeah, mm. I, I think that's one thing that's great about all of us here is that we have a lot of intellectual curiosity and that's why i try to be an idea slut as much as possible <laughs> why i like learning i like learning about different religions even though i don't believe in any of them which is and i really like like hayden's approach to religion too because he's like like uh, the same way that ed is too and the same way that you of course are as well adam is that like whether you believe something or not you try to not judge someone because of that and be open-minded to talking them with them about it. Like how are you talking, you were talking about how you talk to those people who came to your door, Ed. Um, yeah. but what, what's your, what's your well, input on what Hayden said there, Ed? Yeah. Um, a couple things. And, uh, this kind of goes to one of my, one of my biases that, that, uh, personality flaws, whatever you want to call it. But, and, my ears pricked up when when Hayden talked about intellectual honesty, and for me, that's the highest moral standard or ethical standard. Um, am I, you know, to thine own self be true, as my dad once said to me on a golf course thirty years ago, um, when I wasn't counting my strokes up right, and I was, I was <laughs> not intentionally, but um, you know. I have a real problem philosophically with with kind of believing that that people that of faith, you know, I'm using faith in the context of a religious faith, for example, belief in things without evidence, um, that they're being that they're that they're aware that they're not being intellectually honest, and now almost. Very rarely when I speak to believers, do they offer up like Hayden does. And, and again, he's kind of a different case because his, I'm, not, I'm steel manning him here, but his philosophy is not a faith-based philosophy. He, he doesn't ground it all in, in, in unfounded claims. Um, so that's why he and I get along so well philosophically. But when I, when I hear... Faith to me is, I mean, the fact that anybody considers faith a positive character trait is just amazing to me. I, 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 I don't believe, faith is not a pathway to truth and the facts. And if you're interested in the truth, if you're interested in believing things that are true, you have no need of faith. In fact, you should scrub your data, your data set when, if you fall, if you find yourself relying on "quote unquote" faith, I mean, again, this is my personal philosophy. I'll uh, I'll ask for a I'll ask for a stipulation on working definition, uh, and that is, I I I believe I know what you what you say when you say faith, and it's tethered to religion. Uh, what do you call? What is that human um, feature? where someone someone takes on um, a task, takes on something 
not sure that they're going to necessarily be successful. But what what would you call that then? They have what in the is it confidence in themselves or or just no? It's the same word. It's the same word. It's just used differently. I have faith in myself that I'm going to get the job done. I'm going to so so years good. So so years ago when I set out based on evidence. Yeah. So years ago when I set out to write, you know, outsmart your instincts. Um, the main thing driving me was just it became increasingly outrageous to me that the ideas that I was pulling together weren't already out there. And it's almost just kind of like, a well, hell, I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to be the one to do it then. Uh, I had no reason to believe that I could author a book. And it's daunting. And, and uh, you know, I, I, if anything, I will cop to optimism bias, which is the op- you know, almost kind of like the opposite of negativity bias. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I am overly optimistic. Um, I do what uh, in behavioral science is called hyperbolic discounting about <laughs> future actions. I tend to think that effort in the future is much less painful than eff- effort right now. And so I will do dumb things, act accordingly, which we all do. I mean, these are features of, of all of us as humans. But I don't know how to what to call that motive, that drive to get that book done other than uh, faith. Yeah. And so I guess I, I would like to rescue, I, I, would, I guess I'd like to separate religious faith right. and un, unfounded faith. Right. From, because I think faith is really important. Faith to, in oneself, faith yeah. in abilities, faith in your wife, faith in your... Faith in your path, faith in your path in life, you know, right decisions and, and that yeah. you're a good person. All that, that is not obviously what I'm talking about. I'm okay. Talking about, cool. I am talking about making claims about the way the world is, was, or will be that are not based on evidence. Yep. Belief without evidence. You have good reason. And if you had to, you could sketch out on both sides of the ledger why you have good and bad reasons to be optimistic about writing that book. Um, that, that is a evidentiary exercise. Um, if you're talking about a resurrection or flying down a winged horse to <laughs> heaven or whatever, um, or Joseph Smith, for that matter, and magic hats and all the rest of it, um, I, you know, again, if you're interested in the truth, if one is interested in the truth, then faith is a non-starter, right? Because there is no decision there's, that can't be arrived at without faith. The opposite, the opposite side of the argument can be arrived at faith just as easily as the, as the other. So th- this is why, it, 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 to me, it, it not, I mean, it's a total negative. It's a character flaw. It, it does a lot of ugly work for people. It does a lot of good work for people, too. Um, it certainly does. And the Sam Harris example, of course, is the your daughter was just killed in a car accident. And if you really believe that you're going to see her up in heaven in a few short years, um, that's going to be consoling in a way that, that the facts on the ground aren't going to be. And, and a strict uh, you know, materialistic, deterministic view of the universe is not going to grant you that. So I understand all that. But anyway, the other thing I wanted to say was you said intellectual honesty and then you said sophisticated believers or something like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm amazed because I'm communicating on Twitter with this woman who's an author and she's written and spoken about Peterson and Harris and, and she's a believer big time. 
and she's getting a PhD in math and she's a writer and she gets Sam Harris's views absolutely perfect every time she speaks about him and under and and Peterson's for that matter and she's probably three times smarter than I am and yet she believes a host of fucking crazy shit I I, I just I, I just well, so, so Ed what's the but but so I mean I don't know if you've heard this quote so uh, I don't know if you're into Joseph Campbell at all but uh, he has a great quote that I think nails this so perfectly. And I'd love to hear Hayden and Andrew weigh in, and, and, and you as well, Ed. But Campbell said, half the people in the world think that the metaphors of their religious traditions are facts. And the other half contends that they're not facts at all. As a result, we have people who consider themselves believers because they accept metaphors as facts. And we have others who classify themselves as atheists because they think religious metaphors are lies. But the point is, nobody is nobody. There, there are too few, few people somewhere in the middle who don't take them as facts or as lies, but actually as metaphors, which what their intent is, and right. and and to try to to try to reify. But that's a theologically bankrupt position. What's that's that? The, that's a theologically bankrupt position. It's not a no, not at all. No, no, no. I think some of the most vibrant uh, religious yeah. activity right now are by people who take this approach. And go. Of course, these aren't facts. But what what do they teach us? And metaphors and myth, you know, mythos, are truths that were never true but always are. They're never true in the factual sense. They're never okay. never true in the but historical. Me, can I address but, that? But, but the bigger meaning behind it can be yeah. tremendously valuable. Right. That's the Jordan Peterson perspective. I mean, if the whole world acted like that. Then, then all holy books would be in the self-help section of the bookstore. Well, this is where this is where spiritual development goes. And so, if you look at people well, like um, well, you know James Fowler, st stages of faith. His his final two stages of faith are not literal belief. They're very much this. He's this playing hide the ball with the articles of faith. To quote Harris, I mean, he's he's to me that's intellectually dishonest. Okay, you, you, because. It's either true or it isn't true that all this stuff happened. Well, right? but it's it's either true scientifically, historically, or yeah. or not. I yeah. agree. I okay. agree. But then so, to say that it, to say that it's not true historically or, or or in a no. physical way, metaphorically, it's got a lot to offer. Yeah, yeah. That's I think that's where we. I think the world would be better if we could get people there. No shit, and to get, and to get them untethered from the need to make it factual. That's never going, I don't see well, that ever happening. Okay? No, that's where, that's, that's where spiritual development ends up. Well, all, all the great sages. Not, not, yeah, but it, you could say that, yes, for you perhaps, and for others, but for um, the priests and, you know, the Catholic priests, that's not where it ends up. Yeah. For the, for the so you'd be surprised. Yeah. So read read uh, read the short story uh, San Manuel Bueno Martyr by Miguel de Unamuno, which is one of the most stirring, just riveting, beautiful accounts of, of of priestly devotion and everything. And then I'll give the spoiler. It turns out, I mean, he was like the most just beloved priest of of a whole area in Spain. And then it turns out he's actually an atheist. Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, what you're advocating for is, is is a is a throwing out defenestration of of the dogma. 
I mean, that cures the problem for my concerns about religion. I mean, 99% of my concerns are about the dogma. People are against legalized abortion, you know, because it's what the church teaches them and so on. Um, and, and so it, it has moral ramifications. Absolutely. As and, we, and, yeah. and so I want to I affirm what you're saying, Ed, and say the approach is not just to deny it, but to direct it in the in the in the direction it was it always should have gone, which is when you look at you know anyone who believes literally in a, in a resurrection, you know they've got data that I don't ever you know right. or they just or are they are they just you know they they make they're they're fine making assertions the if they, they, they just, can't be supported, but they, but but can I find value in the metaphor of resurrection? Can I find value in in, in often enough myself going? Do you know what? Time for a reboot. I'm going to resurrect myself. All right, sure. Right. There, there's, there's, I would argue there's better fiction out there. I mean, or even nonfiction. I would get much more out of reading a, a good auto a good biography, excuse me, than I ever would out of a holy book. Sure, and I and I get that as well. But also, since I grew up in the church, and even though I don't literally believe in it now. I still find uh, it's still powerful to me, and some of that's obviously right, that's, that, that, that's a lot of that funny. obviously is is my acculturation. My well, favorite, and I'll cop to that. My favorite mythology is in the Matrix movies. <laughs> At least that has a chance of being true. <laughs> so uh, we got to get um, you turned on, Andrew, to uh, Ken Wilber because the the Wachowski brothers back then said that they modeled Neo after Ken Wilber. Oh, cool. I know, yeah. I know that they're they have lots of like uh, they have postmodern references uh, or postmodern inspirations, and they have inspirations from Christianity and Buddhism and different political philosophies. I actually I love to nerd out and watch the Blu-ray commentaries with uh, with two different philosophers on the Matrix. Oh yeah, well so did, well did you get did you get the Ultimate Matrix collection? We'll get back to you, Ed. Just a sec. Sorry. <laughs> So the Ultimate Matrix box set actually has the the director's track isn't the Wachowskis, it's Ken Wilber and uh, Cornell West. Oh, oh yeah, Cornell I West is a pragmatist. Oh, oh yeah. okay. that must have been the other guy who was talking then, because I remember yeah. I haven't seen it for this for the second and third one because I don't have those Blu-rays, but I have the the first Blu-ray and the the commentary that I'm talking about is. I know Cornell West for sure was one of the guys, but Ken Wilber must be the other guy. He is. Yeah. So there, there's my there's my plug for integral thought. Yeah. And there's my plug for pragmatism. Yeah. There you go. All right. Yeah. And- I was gonna say in ter- in terms of in terms of pragmatism, Hayden, like you're a great example of someone who who Adam was talking about, for whom like that we can see lots of psychological benefits that people in religious communities can have like like we were talking about when we recently talked about Jonathan Haidt's book The Righteous Mind how there can be benefits to religion and you can get into the uh sociobiological argument for the benefits of religious uh religions based on group selection and how cultures evolved and stuff like that and that's part of the that's part of what Jordan people like Jordan Peterson, who you mentioned, Ed, talk about too. How there can be psychological benefits to believing these metaphors, while not necessarily arguing that they're actually 
literally true. So I wanted to get your th- your thoughts on that, Hayden, and in terms of pragmatism and whatnot. Yeah, well, um, we're using these words that have been debated for the last hundred years, and I've been suffering at at the words of these philosophers uh, for the last couple of months, reading through their arguments, and it is mind-boggling um, that the smartest people in the world can't agree on how we actually know anything, how we actually know what's true, what is a better definition for true, which Ed might like uh, John Dewey, one of the big pragmatists. He got fed up with the whole word true and rather opted for warranted assertability. So if something's warranted, um, like a warranted assertion is something that is better, you know, higher up on the level than something that's unwarranted, you know, an unwarranted assertion. And so when you talk about faith being, um, you know, a belief without evidence, it might be, you know, better or more precise to talk about like warranted assertions and non-warranted assertions. I would say that Ed probably thinks that belief in the resurrection is an extremely unwarranted assertion. Um, So there's, you know, I think that that could help. Also, Uh, You're talking about my pragmatic Christianity um, and you brought in Jordan Peterson and truth and all these things. Um, What I've come to realize through my studies is that um, no, not a single person on the planet has direct access to unmediated, unvalued, uninterpreted, reality there is no world in the, there's no human independent perspective that we can get in a god's eye view and look over science or look over the world look over our experiences and say oh this is objective reality because you know i mean i, I think it it's kind of obvious when you start to think about it, which i mean that might have been an annoying thing for me to say that it's obvious it's obvious to me now after all this time thinking about it but it's true Um, you can't even look at your hand without bringing all these experiences from your past and, and think, and, you know, you have all these, you know, John Dewey uses the term funded meanings. When we look at my microphone, I know what a microphone is and what that involves is knowing what technology is and knowing what a computer that it's connected to is and knowing, you know, all these, you know, layers and layers and layers of complex meanings that are all funded for us without even having to think about it. And that's the brilliance and the, the incredibility of uh, evolution and cultural evolution and the human mind is that there's layers and layers of complexity constantly going on with anything we do, anything we think, anything we look at, anything that we talk about the truth of or the objective fact of there's all these funded meanings that we take for granted and we don't even know what's happening. And so for me, being aware of that, being aware of the levels of complexity and how all those funded meanings, they didn't come from heaven. They didn't come from, you know, they didn't come from just anywhere. They came from all the human lives that have come before us that have interacted with microphones that have put microphones in front of us that have, you know, done commercials for microphones or use them and we've seen them use them and all of these funded meetings are coming from us experiencing the world and experiencing microphones and seeing other people experiencing microphones so all these funded meanings that we 
take for granted that are attached to objects that we would say are just objective objects, like the microphone in front of me, all those things are human practice dependent because that microphone would have zero meaning to me if I didn't know, you know, implicitly all this funded meaning that came from human practice. And well, and I, so, want to, I want to just hitchhike on this quickly. Uh, so I think this is really interesting. I want to hear more about this because I think it ties in very nicely to the whole idea of motivated cognition. And the idea is that, um, you know, our goals and needs, the, the super majority of which we're not even aware of, right? They're, they're non-conscious, um, really do drive thinking and drive our thinking toward desired conclusions. And we don't even know that that's going on. So in addition to just kind of funded meaning, you know, those experiences we've had that we, we can remember, you know, what was the first time I saw an adult using a microphone? And what did I think of that adult? Was that, uh, uh, was that adult cool? Was that really cool that, that adult was doing right. that? Or was that uh, adult an asshole? And uh, so now somehow I have, there's some taint to microphones for, uh, and adults, <laughs> you know, somewhere buried back way, way back where that I, I can't even begin to surface, right? And so I just think motivated cognition is something we always, and I really, I, I like that notion of funded meaning. I want to explore that a little bit more and see what's the connection between funded meaning and motivated cognition. Yeah, we can definitely do that. Um, the kind of the big point I was leading up to is that what we think of as objective reality, which, you know, I think all of us would say objective reality is what is right in front of me that I see with my senses, feel, touch, smell, you know, what's right in front of me. I can't deny it. That's objective reality. But my entire objective field of vision of perception is chock full of all these funded meanings. And so what we think of as prag or has objective reality is really pragmatic objective reality. It's not actually 100% objective. And so if we can just admit that, then we can talk about that. We can use the word objective. We can use the word uh, independent or, you know, we can use these words like objective without, you know, while we're all kind of winking and nodding saying, of course, there's no such thing as absolute objective reality that we have access to. It's not possible. So we can use the word pragmatically, meaning sure. we're all going to wink and nod and say, yes, it's impossible. So now let's use it because it's a useful word. We all know what we mean when we use the word objective. And so, so that's maybe, kind of... Maybe this is what? one of my like really... May, maybe this has become one of my like really militant biases, maybe in large part reaction to the way I used to, I used to be because I used to extremely believe in objective reality, but now I no longer do. So uh, I think part of my bias is that I think we should just throw out the word objective because we're not being objective anyway. But that that's that's a that's a rabbit hole anyway. Um, well, and you would be, th you would be think, throwing away a perfectly useful word that we all know what we mean when we use it. And well, so I the think point objectivity is, can be can be an ideal that is honored in right approach to it without never never fully reaching it i think yeah. I, again for me truth is like more has to be tied to what's useful mm -hmm. and not not in a machiavellian way not in a hyper situational way um, or an randian objectionist way oh yeah <laughs> yeah they yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna uh i'm gonna win that word back from them uh as, as much value as i found in that thought when I was a much younger man. 
or objectivist. Uh, I, 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 I since have become a father and a grandfather, and I actually like people. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I think again, um, what's helpful, what's useful, and mm-hmm. and with that, often enough, if it's dealing with other people, I'm happy to include thoughts of what's compassionate, and not idiot compassion, just being nice, but actually being compassionate, and sometimes being, you know, tough in order to be truly compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I I think that's that's where we need to go. The, the amount of time that our species has spent on arguing um, the finer points, I mean, it's not dissimilar from, who was it, Hayden? Was it Aquinas or we talking, you know, the number of angels dancing on the head of a pin? Oh, yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, <laughs> or it's Augustine just like one of them. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just like, like <laughs> gives a shit. Let's yeah. get let's get to what matters. Let's get to what makes life yeah. better. I do like what what um, Sam Harris brings up in the moral landscape about how what's true can't be separated from basic ideas of human flourishing at some point. Uh, if something is true, but it makes life miserable for people uh, or right. just point, points them in a stupid direction that will end up in more misery or suffering, then we have to rethink that, obviously. But uh, yeah, I think that's, you know, and, and it's like, how much time do we want to spend? <laughs> you know, would we rather be right or would we rather be effective? Right. And I right. think I said that with uh, to both of you on our previous podcasts. Yeah. And yeah. so if I could just tag one more thing to that and I'll give up the microphone. So you're talking about truth being useful. You know, it's a basic, you know, the pragmatist theory of truth. Um, and so a lot of people, they hear that and they think, okay, so whatever feels good to you in the moment is what's true for you. And that's a vast mischaracterization of the pragmatic theory of truth. Um, what it actually is, is closer to what I was just talking about as far as funded meanings and reality. So Jordan Peterson likes to talk about being, which is the broader environment that we have to be adapted to. And I mean broader by the psychological world is just as much a part of the human world as the material world. So you have a psychological reality, spiritual realities, which, you know, isn't a metaphysical thing, but we have all these sorts of ways of being in the world that are all part of our environment. And so what Jordan Pearson is talking about in a, you know, sometimes convoluted way, and a lot of people just don't really understand him. Um, I'm coming from just as, you know, a pragmatist perspective, and I can see what he is saying, uh, but perhaps I can do it a little differently. So in my own thought, I've been thinking about, you know, because I am, I very much am interested in Darwinian um, theory and evolution. I love learning everything I can about it. Uh, I'm all for it. I believe in evolution. I'm not a creationist. Um, And so when I think about, you know, truth or good or, you know, like adapting to the environment from what I was just saying about human reality and the the funded meanings of our world, we, you know, whatever's going to be good or whatever's going to be true is what is most adaptive to the super environment, you know, and that's what Jordan Peterson's talking about, the metaphysical or not metaphysical, metaphorical world, the story world, the psychological world. Um, I think Carl Jung called it the psychical world or psychic world or psychic reality. And whether we like it or not, and this isn't woo-woo, metaphysical, spiritual, Deepak Chopra shit. What I'm saying is just (laughs) basic, basic human uh, anthropology, which involves biological and cultural, uh, you know, 
evolution. And so we have to take all those things seriously and involve them in our calculations when it comes to what does it mean to be human and what does it mean for us to thrive in the environment we're in. And that doesn't just mean the political or the material environment. So I'm in a house, obviously I'm beating out the cold weather outside. That's just one kind of environment within the human uh, schema of environments. There's also the psychological, the moral, all these different things that are just part of who we are as human beings. And so if we can acknowledge those different realms of the human world, then I will be much happier in this conversation with people, uh, you know, cause then we can just put aside the whole, like, I mean, we can start to at least talk, I think a little more usefully about what is true. What is faith without evidence? What is a warranted assertion? What is, you know, a good belief versus a bad belief, what, you know, and all those things. I just think, uh, you know, that's my soapbox. So um, given what, given what you just said there, then would you say that Christianity is very adaptive for you in your local environment? It has been. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I grew up with it. It's kind of just etched into my life, into my being, into my mind. Okay. Um so for better or worse, I've had to adapt with it. You know, imagine okay. me being, uh, imagine me being born and then, you know, my parents decided to have, you know, elect surgery for me to have another arm. Um, the question of, is it more adaptive? I've kind of had to do it. You know, I didn't have a choice. I couldn't, you know, unless I wanted to chop the arm off later, but you know, I guess if I carry the analogy over, I grew up and learned, you know, Hey, I can actually do some stuff with this third arm that I wasn't able to do if I just chopped it off. And so I've decided to make it an asset. Um, okay. so yeah, but I mean, your, your ability, your ability to hold that, uh, religious background objectively like that there's has been a positive. Now, yeah, once yeah. I got over the oh, hump, yeah. once I got through, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of depression and anxiety, it ended up being yeah. uh, a positive tool in my tool bag. Yeah, so you, have to, was, you have to be able to develop in order to get enough distance from something to be able to hold yeah. it as an object. So yeah, and that, just, that, that doesn't that doesn't just uh, and and to, I, I, I'll agree with Ed on this. A lot of churches do a horrible job of helping their members get to that point where they mm-hmm. can hold their religion objectively and, yeah. and and get that kind of helpful critical distance from it. Yeah. Not 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 critical as in criticizing but to be able to really understand it better and not identify, not, not subjectify it so much. So mm-hmm. I was just, uh, I just literally thought of two things there. One, first of all, one religious value that I actually pragmatically follow from a completely secular perspective, in my opinion. And I, I, th- I was, I've been thinking lately, I might actually make a video about this is about how one common value I see in religious figures like Jesus and the Buddha that I admire and that I literally try to apply to my own life as much as I can, although I could be a lot better, is to love your enemy. And that's one thing that I like a lot about Daryl Davis in that docu- in that documentary, Accidental Courtesy, that we talked about on the last Mixed Mental Arts chat. He's a black guy and he befriends people like Nazis and white supremacists and has literally converted people by being friends with people who hate him. And I, so that, so that's why I, I do think that there can be a lot of positive benefits to that kind, those kinds of values uh, specifically, but 
for me, I was also thinking about how, like, the pragmatism in terms of religion and Christianity, I think this is this seems to me to be kind of like a highly personal thing. And maybe that's part of why, um, part of why, even though we can get along with each other really well, we have perhaps fundamental philosophical disagreements, like in terms of your religion, Hayden, and my and Ed's atheism, for example, I would say, because for me, even though I see that there are that there can be positive psychological benefits to religious worldviews, for me personally, I just can't get over this mindset that, yeah, but I don't like just in my own head. I think, yeah, but none of this is real. Why? I just can't get over like, why should I delude myself into believing something that I don't believe in because it might help me in my life? That's just the biased way that I think about it in my head. Yeah. And go, well, go the, back to that guy. I who mean, the, the, the fallacy. Plans, did... oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to uh, uh, address the two one at a time, but I'll say this and then you can go, uh, Adam. Uh, going back to the, the black guy that befriends Klansman and then wins them over, um, that goes back to um, what Adam was saying about his book and having a sort of faith in an ideal without having any evidence whether it would work or not. Um, and that is, you know, that's kind of how I think of faith. That's one way I think of faith, which is an orientation towards an ideal, a behavior orienting attitude um, towards an ideal. You're going towards an ideal. And that guy had an ideal saying that I'm going to try to befriend these people and see what happens. And, you know, you know, it worked. Wow. That's incredible. But it never would have worked if he didn't have the faith or at least the wishful thinking that, it could possibly work. Um, or maybe it was a, com I mean, I haven't watched the documentary or, or read the book. I don't know if there is either one of those things, but maybe he just had no idea and was just befriending these people. And then it was a unintended consequence that they stopped being Klansmen or racist or whatever it is. Um, but it started, it started off as unintentional, but became intentional eventually. Because yeah. he saw, because he saw that he, that it worked. He saw it work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He became exactly. a pragmatist. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one thing I want to just point to, and I, I, I'm trying to look for ways to connect these the different worldviews expressed here in the group, is I'm wondering if for Ed and Andrew, um, I mean, what if we could dramatically tip the scales on on Christian belief? And let's just keep it localized to Christianity, and make it so that the 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 supermajority of Christian believers were more like Hayden, a non-literal, metaphorical. Uh, so, so then, Andrew, still some of your reaction there is, it's, it's hard for me to subscribe to some of this because there are other facets of it that are just absolute bullshit. And I, I can't, you know, what, what was, um, oh, I can't remember who said this now, but the quote was, um, you know, the, the, the mind can't assent to what the heart can't believe. Yeah. Or something like that. Um, but so, so, I mean, there's something there that, you know, there's something that we do with people. Um, the term is essentialism or the fallacy of composition, or, or, or we've talked about in mixed mental arts a lot, you know, my, my riff on Dunbar, which is doing Dunbar stupidly uh, and thus Dunbarring 
and and finding you know some of the worst representations of the group and saying then that must be true of the entire group. I think you can do that with 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 thoughts as well. And when you find the very stupidest facet of of a of a body of thought, uh, if that's your your only introduction, if that's your only exposure to the, that body of thought overall, the very worst parts of it, then it's natural for you to say, "Well, I'm just going to write that whole thing off." But we know that it's not it's not adaptive. It's not it's not as uh, in, in in Buddhism they talk about uh, skillful means. It's not skillful to essentialize people. I think there's something to be learned there about just being a little more curious and not rushing too quickly to assume that the very worst aspects of any body of thought are also are just would would have to taint the entire body of thought, and there could be no value extracted from other parts of it. Well, that's part of why I I almost in a way uh, kind of consider myself to be a secular buddhist in a way because i i don't i don't know a lot about buddhism but based on what little i know based on uh like kind of western interpretations of buddhism i like all i like all of the ideas that i've heard about when i've read books like why buddhism is true and stuff like that you got to listen to my buddy uh, noah rochetta has a podcast called the secular buddhist which is awesome Cool. Yeah, check it out. Plug for Noah. Check it out, baby. The Secular Buddhist. Awesome. I am interested in the the topic of conversation of what we will allow ourselves to believe in or to agree with or to think is true or whatever, because sometimes the terms are a little fuzzy. So, for example, does everyone in this group believe in democracy? Uh, hell yeah. Yes. Andrew. I I got cut off for a second. There, oh. sorry. Do you believe in democracy? Um well that's an interesting question because <laughs> I would <laughs> I would say I would What about say as that, an ideal? I, I would say that I I would say that I don't, but if you're asking whether it's a good thing to aspire to, then I would say yes. Sure. Uh so it, you believe in it as an ideal, uh, at least. Well, does democracy exist in the world? I mean, no. we could say that it's, it, it functions in little pockets here and there when it's going well, but is democracy itself something with a capital D? Is that an existing angel spirit, something that lives up in the air? No. No, I think we would all agree that it's, it's not. Yeah. Right. It's it's not an entity that exists ontologically in the world. Yet we all talk about money. democracy. Yeah. But and yeah. we still talk about democracy. We still uh, form our institutions based on democracy. You know, you could say that there's a religion of democracy. People have faith in democracy or lose faith in democracy. Democracy orients people's behavior and affects people's behavior all over the place. Um, and so how how exactly are we believing in democracy is the question that i began with how are we believing in this thing that doesn't exist but we all know it does when it is functioning kind of like consciousness there's no such thing as consciousness as an entity that exists you can't grab it you can't find it you can't locate it it's all these different functions um in the human brain i just don't think that we have to believe that that it exists for it to be useful 
like in the same way that you you even don't necessarily believe in god but you think that god can be useful i believe in god at least as a metaphor and at most the way that we believe that consciousness or subjectivity exists but if you ask any experts subjectivity isn't a thing it's not a positive existing thing it doesn't exist you won't find it so so hey but there are are effects on it are you comfortable with some of these conceptual um frames i mean can we are we just really talking about tools yeah I'm happy talking about tools. <laughs> I'm happy using yeah. that language. I, I think that's it. And then it just becomes, what is the fit of the tool to the need? You bring and, up that point about language games all the time on your podcast, Hayden. Yeah. I mean, language games are just the language schemas attached to or conceptualizations attached to practices. And so within a specific practice, you're going to have a language. It's going to come with all its practices, rituals, habits, um, understandings. Earlier, I mentioned funded meanings. It's going to come with all these funded meanings that don't necessarily translate into other language games or other practices. So for me to talk about uh, God being real as a Christian is going to be a lot different than we talk about democracy being real or um, maybe that was a bad example or, um, so God is or real Superman being real. Like, we're going to talk about these things differently yeah. um, in different language games. Uh, I'm trying Superman, to think of another example, but Superman I'm farting on it. real in the same way as democracy and God. You may use the term. Um, there are people who really like Superman, man. <laughs> good for them. Well, but and we, life and life just wouldn't be the same without Superman, and you know, yeah. uh, exactly. You know, my life wouldn't be the same without, um, you know, Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. Uh, I, 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 I don't. I, I'm not. I don't remember that Persig actually made any claim that I, I know it was at least kind of semi-autobiographical, but the point of it is not even to think of it in terms of fiction or nonfiction, but just what are the ideas contained within it? And are those ideas helpful in some way? Do they help me, do they help me think better? Do they, do they, do they help me be more effective uh, and more compassionate? I think mm-hmm. that is a much more useful way to think about these topics. But yeah. uh, Ed, we haven't gotten your input in a while here. What do you think about all this? Oh boy! Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm encouraged to to hear Hayden once again um, say that he's an atheist, which is <laughs> I absolutely love it. Anybody who has to go on for three sentences about God being conscious <laughs> and all that, he doesn't he, he doesn't suffer the illness that half of America does. So that's that's wonderful to hear. I'm I'm kind of poking fun at you, buddy. But he believes but in evolution of, and global climate change. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of kumbaya here about all this stuff, and, <laughs> and you know, there, the, the 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 one concern I have is what's important to me is I view the world and as this, what we know and what we don't know, there's a very bright red line between that for me. Now you could say that's being naive because we don't have perfect objectivity. I never entertain the idea of perfect objectivity. So that's never the standard anyway. Um, But let's, you know, 
let's believe what works. Let's believe what feels good. Let's go with that, you know, and then, oh, let's, let's reject all this other stuff because it doesn't work or it doesn't feel good. I, I don't want, I'm not crazy about all of that. I am interested in what's factually true, what's falsifiable, what objective material reality. Um, mm -hmm. So, so I'm not, and again, I didn't really hear much of blurring of the lines all that much there, but, but, a, a, a fair bit of it. And, and it's, you know, love, love your enemies. No, that, that, no, you don't, if you love your enemies, they're not your enemies. Your enemies are not to be but loved. What if it, but what if it works for converting Nazis and making them stop being Nazis? Love was not going to, what going to be what defeated the Nazis. Friends? No, no. In, in the Daryl Davis example, in that documentary, I'm him, I'm him yeah. one on one. Oh, be, yeah. be, befriending people who could not disagree with him. More. Uh, yeah, I would argue. Right. I mean, it sounds masochistic to me. I mean, that's he's up. He's allowed to make his own decisions, obviously. But I would say I don't know that he loves them, or or I would characterize it as perhaps have well, no enemies. Or right, he has no enemies. Or, or, he, or, or he, befriending he loves, your enemies. He loves that. He loves all but that part of them that is filled with. Hate, right? Okay, I mean that yeah, those cool. kind of things I understand. Okay, but the blanket assertion that love your enemies—that—that that is not an idea that—that. That, and again, I'm all about compassion, and I don't think I certainly don't do enough. I don't think my country does enough on a million different issues. Um, the West doesn't do enough, etc., on the compassion front. But um, but no, not no, not love your enemies. But Ed, if you were if you were to like, for example, become friends with someone who is like a really radical Muslim, and they're in and they're in, they're so radical that they're in danger of literally going to like Afghanistan or Syria or somewhere like that and joining a terrorist group. If you chose to befriend them at that time, or you had a little bit earlier then maybe because they're right. your friend, they would be open to listening to your ideas about religion. Right. But they and wouldn't because be my... you're their friend, it might prevent them from going to become a terrorist. Right. At that point, they wouldn't be my enemy, right? They wouldn't be our enemy. I mean, yeah. all I have to do is think about the 19 hijackers or the Nazis or, you know, fill in the blank. Um, and that if I characterize those... those enemies in that way, then I certainly don't love them. I want them, you know, to quote Hitchens. When someone brought this up to Hitchens, you can find it on YouTube. Um, I want them destroyed, you know, it's unfortunate, but better them than me. So, um, but I, I think the, I now understand the point you were trying to make. You're right. I mean, yes, I, I agree insofar as um, if we can stop this stuff, um, and not make enemies and proceed in a um, globally or politically, economically in a way that will not create enemies and so on. That's obviously a much better thing. Of course, I'm all for that. And but I if think that's already an enemy. If it's 1943 and we're talking about Nazis and the Empire of Japan. Sorry. I mean, not but a don't chance. Don't you think that part of that problem was them not having the mindset more of what daryl davis has which is that every one of these people they are people 
and it's mere chance that I am not them. I was not born as them, That's and they true. were not born as me. It's true, but but I want my you know at a minimum you know I want my family to survive. I want my country to survive, my allies to survive, and last on the list would be uh, my enemies. Oh well, I, I totally agree. I'm not. Uh, maybe I can uh, tag tag on this. Uh, this conversation with a uh, middle path between both of you. Um, you know, what Ed is saying is evidence for why ideals, you know, you can call them metaphors, metaphorical truths, or we can just use ideals are even more useful than strict literal understanding of things, you know, take love your enemies for an example, as an ideal, you know, we can hope the best in everyone, but at the same time have the discernment to back off when, you know, when, you're, when your intuitions tell you, hey, this guy's actually dangerous and might be luring me to his car to kill me, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's not a blind optimism or naivety. Right. Um, so it works better as an ideal than a literal truth. You know, literally love your enemies, every single one of them. Okay, come here, Nazi. Um, I'm not going to go around blowing Nazis. So it works. <laughs> so it works. It actually works better. It, you know, as a pragmatist, yeah, you could say it's it. actually truer as an ideal than it is literally. So, which uh, is and a is benefit the, to ideals. Is the idea to be as uh, wise as serpents, but uh, harmless as doves? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> say that. Uh, um, I'm not, I'm not sure where that. Came, I'm not sure where that came from, but it seemed like kind of a cool idea. But I do have one extra thing to add to that William James and his varieties of religious experience makes a really interesting point, which is that he's talking, you know, he's doing this study in all these different religious people. And there's a chapter where he talks about, you know, what's, you know, the benefit of being a saint versus not, you know, he was kind of comparing Nietzsche's Superman to, you know, to a saint, someone who's, you know, who's completely selfless, who, you know, is embodying all the Christian ideals and all this stuff. And he addresses, uh, you know, what we're talking about right now about the love your enemies thing. And he's like, um, Nietzsche Superman's going to win out. He's better adapted. He's not going to be tricked by manipulators. He's going to be discerning. He's going to, uh, you know, pretty much win out. But in the long run, he, he's like, is, let's back out our time frame. He's like, in the long run, having people like the saints exist in the real world is beneficial for everyone at large because we have examples or exemplars of, of what it looks like to be a decent human being. And it might actually be useful for people in, you know, in the long run that those kind of people actually exist. And so while it may be, you know, pragmatically useful to believe in the ideal, but not all the time, like, you know, like Ed was just saying, I'm glad that those kind of people exist. Even if they are on, even if they edge on being naive, I'm glad that those people exist and are examples to all of us, you know, shitty people, you know? Well, and so like that kind of goes back to my pragmatism, which is that there are no absolutes and there are no one way to think and believe about things and how to act in the world. I am glad I'm, I really believe in democracy as an ideal. And I'm so glad that there are atheists and there are Buddhists and that there are, you know, whatever Adam is, I'm glad that, that we all can exist and look to each other's experiences for our own funded meanings and making decisions off of each other's experiences. You know, I, I look at every single human being as a little scientific experiment and what it looks like to live a human life and what works, works, what doesn't work, works, and we can learn from each other. You know, we are social animals. And so I'm glad that there are some saints out there, even though it's not 100% pragmatic, 
all the time for each individual. Well, I think uh, Hayden, the, the the opportunity is you know just as why why do why do certain works of fiction resonate with each one of us a little bit differently, or whatever? It's because we find elements of ourselves within that within that story that really resonates. And I so I think I, I think it's not to just hope that there are more saints, but for all of us to find, hey, what are some saintly tools that I can add to my toolkit? What are yeah, some exactly. Uber, what are some Ubermensch tools that I can add to my toolkit? And then can I become increasingly discerning about when to use them? And hey, here's the big win. How can I take a saintly tool and an Ubermensch tool together right. uh, to, to work on a particular need or you know opportunity to uh, to create something wonderful in the world? And, and, and I, uh, I think that's that's the approach. And mm -hmm. I like all of what you both just said there. And, and in terms of uh, in terms of democracy again, which you mentioned there, Hayden, that's uh, that reminds me of uh, when we were talking on. Uh, I think it was the the last mixed mental arts chat, or maybe the one before that, Ed, about how like these these like uh, American ideals of the American founding fathers about uh, about ideas like all men are created equal and that kind of stuff. They were like. Those aren't necessarily objective scientific truth claims. Like they originally came from religious, their Christian religious inspiration in a way. Which, I mean, they they we cer certainly most people don't interpret them that way now today, probably. But that's where that's where their inspiration came from when they thought about those ideas. And obviously, there was democracy long before then, like back in ancient Greece and ancient Rome and whatnot. I as, yeah. as a matter of story. <laughs> I stood on the spot in Athens. It's called the Bema, B-E-M-A. It's a stone that politicians used to stand on when they took votes of the male citizens. You can s stand on this actual spot where democracy was taking place in the you know 5th or 6th century B.C. It's pretty cool. That must have been amazing. But, yeah, but but you know, I'm going to take issue with your the founding fathers and their documents are 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 a reaction to the the wrongs uh, committed by religious thought, um, condemning the mind and freedom of thought and all all the rest of it. So, and they were pilgrims that came here initially. Um, that's true, but. But uh, so so I, I reject this. They're founded on um, Christian. No, they, they're found. They're founded despite and because of the the um, the the all the shit that went wrong, um, basing um, government and so on on the divine right of kings or Christianity and the rest of it. So it's it, to me, it's just the opposite. Although it is idealized language, yes. You mean like the the freedom of religious expression that the founding fathers also talked about, for example? You know, um, yeah, it, all of it. Democracy. It, what did what did Thomas Jefferson write in that famous letter to those Protestants up in Connecticut? There will forever be a wall of separation between church and state. I mean, uh, you know. So this was a, a, a reaction to what had taken place in the past and a corrective, um, which the world has followed. And I, I'm a 
a huge admirer of democracy, but despite its fault, I mean, the way my dad taught me about it would be it's, you know, it's, it's the worst one except for all the others. You know, it's the least worst one um, for government. And until we figure out a way um, to improve it, presumably that can happen. Um, so, this, this is what we have. So maybe maybe it's that um, like the the American founding fathers, for example, had more of a metaphorical understanding of religion because they had learned from history about the consequences that we can see when religion and state are linked and why there should be that separation yeah. of church and state in the same way that today, like Hayden, for example, is a good example of the benefits of a more metaphorical understanding of religious principles. Yeah, I, I, I want to address that because, yeah, I mean, this whole metaphorical, I mean, as as the Jordan Peterson and Harris uh, discussions before that took place over the spring and summer, as as Harris made clear, you can do that with anything. And you mentioned Superman. He he used Spider Man. You know, you're 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 a neurotic person, and you're walking into Starbucks. And if you said to yourself, "Well, what would Spider Man do?" You know, like how would Spider Man carry himself if he was walking into Starbucks? And there's utility in, in, in the Spider-Man story. So, um, and, and you could use it to, to, to positive means. So to me, these religious stories are on par. In effect, the point that I'm making here, they're no different than, the, than, than Spider-Man. And I, no, I, yes, I no more or less utility. But the world, see... But the world doesn't think about it that way. We well, we got to we got to get them there. And so right. I, mean, I, I think well, I think the, the uh, so do we have do we, we have the books? What's that? We can't edit the books. No, but we can engage people. We can Daryl Davis those people who are still stuck, and we can. So again, so I think that this is we, we kind of talked about what, what what we wanted to go with this with this episode. And I'd like to see if we can start talking about. How do we disagree more productively, and how do you actually how do you actually persuade people? You don't just pump you don't just pummel them with facts. We understand that. Well, and, and the and the issue now with with I, I, as much as I appreciate what Sam Harris has done and 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 what he did for me at a key point when I read The End of Faith when it first came out, um, I would if I had the opportunity to talk to him, I'd really just want to pick his brain. I would be curious. I wouldn't try to combat him because this is what I'm arguing. I think Sam um, has a defective, there, there's a defect, he has an, uh, no, that's harsh language. He has, he, he has an incomplete understanding of these actual uh, pesky humans. And, and I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think he's quite, I think he's far behind on behavioral science. And I think, um, again, it's, it's, not, it's not identifying so much with any one school of thought. Uh, but many rationalists, including Sam Harris, base their case for, for, for just pure rationalism, absent, you know, much attention to what it really takes to persuade these, these damn pesky humans. But they do it for intuitionist reasons while denying and decrying intuitionism. And I think the science is actually more behind 
what we learn from behavioral science is we are emotional critters. First and foremost, we make decisions. We, we're really smart, so we can come, we can confabulate really fucking well uh, as to what was the smart reason why we chose what we did. Right. And we're not aware of what the actual motive was. And it was deeply seated and it was it was mostly emotional. So we come up with rational reconstructions of these emotional things that we do. Mm. Uh, but the way forward has to be both. We have to, the rationalists have to open up. And if they really want to be effective, they have to understand why using the tools of intuitionism in concert with the tools of rationalism could actually be a much more effective way forward. Yeah. I mean, I was, actually, I was actually thinking the other day about how it's kind of, it's a little bit ironic that you can actually be closer to rational and objective if you understand that you're not being rational and objective. And you're not. And that, I mean, that's of, the thing. It's a matter of degrees, though. That's that's all that matters. It's the matter of degrees, right? Absolutely. And I, I would be I, – I, I would – I would be the first to. I, I would agree with all your criticism of. of I, I just about agree with everything you said about Harris. I think that that Harris is just one flavor of a communicator of ideas. And remember, he doesn't have a religious backstory. He has a there was religion wasn't discussed in the home, so he, he can't person like me. He can't personally identify with being frankly brainwashed by these ridiculous ideas and 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 he can't get over how how you know he, he you know he loves to say that he you know when islam islamic terrorism was going on uh, you know september 11th in the aftermath you know he talk about how you know getting liberals to to to, to understand that pe that muslims actually do believe in paradise they actually do believe that they're going to get the 72 virgins and if you die in defense of the faith, that people actually believe this. He, he needs to, in a sense, take his own medicine on that and, and identify with how deeply held when you're taught things when you're young, when you're exposed to ideas when you're young, it's hard to get rid of them. You see that we talked about it earlier. Hayden was talking about it. The reference, I forget the word you used, but the reference data that you were that are subconsciously backing up your thought process. Funded meanings. Funded meanings. Yeah, it's it's definitely all there. And with Harris and, and you know, and Dawkins too, you know, they say things like, you know, religion can be eradicated in one generation. You just don't teach the next generation any of this. <laughs> and it's fucking gone. And 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 human race would be a million times better. And there'd be you no, know, it wouldn't. Oh my it's, God! It's, it's, it's you know what it is, and it's times so, it's so sweetly naive, and in, no, no. In, 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 in being and in being that reductive, it's fundamentalist because it says no, 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 it says on, if we did this one thing, no, if no, we could but, just do this one thing, we couldn't then, do that with science. Single right? factor analysis. You wouldn't yeah. want to do that with science or art or education or poetry or writing. I'm talking about teaching the next generation a bunch of un lies. No, like, but even no, even even no. there. So again, let's go back to, to Sam's no, conundrum. No, hold on. Oh, let so me make Sam, Sam, Sam no, has no. this Sam no, has no. this this crazy existential thing, whatever happened, 
where he gets outraged. I understand the outrage. I, you know, I live in the, the New York Metro. He's outraged by 9-11. He's probably heading that way anyhow. But, you know, that kind of gets him on a path toward decrying all religion because he found the very worst expression of it outrageous and untenable. And he doesn't want to see that happen again. I understand not wanting to see that happen again. But in now in essentializing in in this fallacy of, of composition now that all religion, that's what all religion points to. It's just like Jordan Peterson no, 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 saying, no. saying that all postmodernism ends up in the gulag. Yeah, even though Jordan Peterson in his position postmodernism in the same way that Sam Harris doesn't understand how human beings actually behave. No, first of all, he, he, he doesn't decry all religion, only religions with, with dogma. Dogma is the real issue with him. And oh, that's whole, great, and so there, and so he ought to be decrying just as much political dogma, he does, which has right. which, he does. which has resulted in some real horror, right? right. Yeah. Exactly. And, I'm, and I'm on board with that, right? That, that, that's but Ed, the Ed, the reason that uh, like the reason I defend Sam Harris often is that is the same reason that I often defend religion because I don't like to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I like a lot of what Sam Harris says. Can I, I make a comment? Some people Wait. benefit from religion, so I don't have to believe everything Sam Harris says to think that he's someone worth listening to. In the That's same right. way that I don't have to think, I don't have to believe every Christian principle to think that some people benefit from Christianity. Sir, you no, wanted to say no something. No one out here, there though, is making an argument that there aren't some benefits to any irrational belief. You can believe your Napoleon, and your life could get better. <laughs> Right. But so, you always go, and you always go to the most outrageous. Well, well, well here's no. here's where here's where you can steal, man. Ed. I am Batman. You don't have to go to the most outrageous kind of dismissive examples I, I, what, to make what, the point. What, what the, <laughs> what's important to remember is that Sam Harris is one guy with one style, right? Of what he accentuates, what he doesn't accentuate in his ideas. He's an atheist. He sees the damage. He started his famous first book the day after September 11th, as you pointed out. He, he is one type of communicator about these ideas. And when you get, when you get Harris, that's what you get. And right? I just want him to be more effective, Ed. And I'm saying is, is no, if, he, if he would if he's he would effective. if he would actually introduce some nuance. I mean, the best thing that could happen to Sam Harris, honestly, would he's be to make would be to make five really close friends like Hayden. Hey, yeah. I'd love to be his friend, but you know? I think he can't be a part. And for him to actually hear them out and not be so goddamn dismissive of anything that even smells of religion. But Harris wouldn't have an issue at all with Hayden's philosophy. This is the oh, point. Oh, thanks, Ed. Because he's not into I dogma. It. He's rejected dogma and said, I'm a consequentialist. I'm I, I, I don't I don't think Sam uh, no. sufficiently accounts for his own dogma. Yeah, no, I have no, a comment to me. One dog, I think he's, I think he's dogmatic one about dogma. Hold on. I, you know, I see this online on Twitter. Name one dogma that Sam Harris has ever uttered, because I'd love to hear it. The world would be um, would would be much better without religion. That's a dogmatic There is no free will. That's, That's not a dogma. Yes, it is. 
That's a that's no, an unsu- that. that's an unsupported no knows, assertion. No one, it's an un- no one knows that's, that's, what the world would be like without religion. What? Well, hold on. That's why it's a faith claim to say that the world would be better without religion. Do you think the Middle East would be better without religion? It'd be better without literally kind of that that Fowler's, Fowler's, the world stage two Fowler stage three religion. Yes, the world would be better without Fowler stages one through three religion. The world would be the world would be better with more Fowler stage four through stage. You just denuded religion of all its dogma, which makes Sam Harris's thesis it's the dogma it's the belief but, but, but sam but sam ignores any of the actual power no that he doesn't. He net, net, net of the dogma he wrote a book <laughs> on spirituality without religion right? I, 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 I agree which dogma which I like is, which you can have and it's, it's it's a great book and and it makes it all the more confounding to me why he can't take that next just micro step well, and actually the micro step would be. You know, he's a former Buddhist, right? Who basically I, I think uh, is it is it former? He still doesn't he still practice? He's he used to be a Buddhist. He's he was a, briefly a bodyguard for the Dalai Lama, which is a great story. He spent months in caves and all that, uh, up to two years of his life in total, meditating with masters in India and Nepal. And he's jettisoned all the bullshit and kept the good stuff. That's great. The secular Buddhist, in a way. I I, I, I want to get off, Sam. I'd like to. Right. So, I, I would like to uh, make a comment if I could. Um, yeah, yeah. Going back to something that um, Ed mentioned earlier, which kind of sprang into you know the whole Sam Harris conversation. He talked about um, scripture, and he talked you know talking about religion, talking about scripture, saying that we can't go back and change the scripture. It's there. Um, you know, it's there and we have to deal with it or jettison it, you know, because it's, it's stuck there. Um, and I would like to claim, and I think it's relevant to the Sam Harris conversation as well. Um, which is that on top of the scripture is 2000 years of tradition. And what tradition is, is a human cultural evolutionary technology within all of us, um, to, either correct, respond, or continue the work of those before us. People teach us, our parents teach us things, and we either continue it, correct it, or respond, or change it. That is, you know, in small ways, tradition, but you have these things like religion. I know, I know. Let me just finish the point. So you have this thing like Christianity, which has 2,000 years of tradition, which at this point today, it's gone off in all these different branches, correcting for like you said, the passages, the passages that we can't get past. And what I want to say, you know, going back to a comment I made even way earlier in the beginning is, um, you know, how we do philosophy, how we do reason, how we do science, how we do anything is all going to stem from our anthropology. What do we think human beings are? What kind of beings do we think human beings are? And And for me, I accept the fact that we are cultural, traditional beings. And by traditional, I mean that we work off of the ideas of those before us. We take what's good, like you just said with Sam Harris. He took what was good, he jettisoned what was bad, corrected some things, reinterpreted some things, so that you can still use some of the uh, some of the practices while you know remaining you know using secular language, perhaps. 
but he's he's reinterpreting according to the experience of his modern life you know and that's what tradition does that is the technology of tradition is that in every generation they're living within a new cultural environment and not even just cultural but you know earlier i was talking about all the different uh realms of human reality it's a different culture it's a different material world the world has changed in all these different ways and so our you know dogma like you said has to change otherwise we won't be best fit for the environment overall right. and but when people but, realize they they schism they go off in these different directions and the best culture wins you know but here's, um, here's the so i would say that tradition is a corrective technology to culture it arised you know tradition is a concept that emerged or uh, yeah it emerged from our human that, lives without anyone thinking about it and so when i all right, finish your thoughts. I, I, I was just going to say that I think that thinking about human beings as traditional or, you know, cultural human beings, I think we can have a more intelligent conversation about religion and the scripture and the dogma. And uh, Sam Harris, as, as an example, atheism, as we know it today, is a, ve is a very recent, uh, you know, I would say tradition. It's about 100 years old. You have these people yeah. throughout history that are exceptions to the rules. But there hasn't been the kind of atheism that we understand it now. Just like there hasn't been fundamental Christianity uh, for that yeah, long either. It's about a hundred years old. Atheism so, been around a long time. But let me ask a bedrock. Well, people, people have not Why believed. Does anybody care what's in the Bible? Why should a lot of people care? Or what? Why should, why? why should anybody care what's in that particular book? Well, well if, if, if for nothing other than sheer intellectual curiosity, I mean, it's one of the it's one of the camaraderie, one of the, the, one of the most impactful. Uh, other than know, right, I've read it too. I mean, I understand. I, I, I understand that. And you, and you know, not, if you're, you're, there's nothing there's nothing to fear about it. I mean, you can read it and then you can go, okay, that's bullshit. Okay, that, that's interesting. Okay, bullshit, right. bullshit, interesting, interesting, bullshit, right. bullshit, interesting, interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what I'm saying about tradition is that if you're an empiricist and you realize that people throughout history, at least for the last two thousand years, have been Christians and they have worked from that understanding and it got us successfully to the point that we are now, you know, you might stand back and think billions of people for two thousand years yeah, have lived people could be wrong. Lived. Yeah, that's true. But it's worked to a, a much certain better point. Book. Certainly, yeah, but part, I guess I'm just more respectful of traditions you know that are 2,000 years long but when I'm can, only 25. You can, you can take you can take any you can take any body of work that has endured through the centuries, and it's very easy now from our perspective to look at it and be able to norm those norms, right? And say, okay, well, this prohibition against shellfish, obviously, that clearly that was adaptive at a given time because people were dying unnecessarily. Why that had to go into scripture? What had to get to, why, how, how, how that get how to get tied into religion? I, who knows? That that was that was all that was available. They, they, they didn't they didn't differentiate at that time between government and religion. So that was just kind of a, an adaptive way. But but we can look at any of that now, and we're not and in the beauty of living in. Uh, Canada or the United States or any place where there is, you know, freedom of religion or freedom of belief, freedom of political, you know, bent, whatever, is that we can now take a look at anything. We don't have to be held to scripture. Everything can be 
the world is 53% of Americans don't believe in evolution because of the, yeah. yeah so, well, let me, so, let me make so how do we combat that? Ed? Do we combat that? Point. Do we combat that by telling them they're stupid or do we befriend them and first agree with them on the things we can agree with bridge some way then from that agreement and uh, then, and only then get into a position where we can convince them. Otherwise. There's a hundred, I would say there's, there's, there's a hundred different ways that has to be done. One of them is the Sam Harris way. One is the Christopher Hitchens way. One is the way you're putting forward. It's, 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 a I do agree with that. Right. It goes back to what I was saying about having the democracy of different kinds of people. We have this conversation. It's the most important thing. Yeah. And again, I don't know that Harris goes around saying people are stupid. You know, he's he's pretty he's he's pretty dismissive. And I get it. It's 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 really it it feels great. It's it's very, very temporarily satisfying to diss someone like that. No, it's uh, not, and, 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 and I have laughed. I've laughed my ass off. I, I there's a reason why I get audio, his audiobooks is because I do enjoy that. And then I go, yeah, but is that I I, I just I want people yeah, to be able you're to take camp, you're in the camp already. No, he's converted lots of people. And again, it doesn't have to be about him. It could there needs to be a plurality of voices I agree. to persuade people away. I am a pluralist harmful harmful beliefs i just and want quite, sam i want sam to get more effective that's all <laughs> that's fine yeah i mean again he's one guy yeah uh, but 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 your point's taken i agree with that um that's why you got to listen to a player you know but you know again i listen to this atheist experience show with matt dillahunty and people call up and say they have proof for god and and then the guy starts talking and it's well it says right here in the bible the guy thinks the book is proof for something right okay, we need to we need but that's to, what i'm trying to do i'm trying to correct those people <laughs> i know that's but, my job in this conversation right, right right i understand that and that's why we're, we're allies i mean we we need to deprioritize that book and put it next to the idiot by dostoevsky <laughs> and all of these other interesting minds that wrote about this stuff and and realize that that book it's just older it holds no more or less wisdom etc you could argue that there the stories are honed over years jordan peterson's opened up my mind on that and i'll agree with that but again these people think it's a fucking magic book they're condemned (laughs) to a life of fucking ignorance that that goes that can thing well, Ed, I love your impulse that that you know being condemned to a life of ignorance is nothing we would we would wish for anyone. Right. And so I, I I love that we that, all agree on that. That you have that you have that motivation. Fifty three percent of Americans reject the most proven fucking thing inside the cornerstone of biology. The, the, I mean, you know. So, so let, let me let me tell you as a as a career law market researcher, Ed. Yes. But what is the strength of belief there? And and right. I get it. And they it's done. Uh, honestly, they were brainwashed nonsense from the. Pre- no, but I understand. But but decompose that fifty three percent, Ed, and you've got more than half of that, or two thirds, I would guess, that kind of go, yeah, it's just kind of what I was taught, and I don't give a shit. Yeah, right. that, 
that's I, very most sad. People, most people I know are like that. Who yeah. are religious. But we, we talked about that in a past episode where I was talking about my own definition of, you know, belief coming from, you know, my own pragmatist perspective that, you know, when I look at belief, I, it's a habit towards action, what you are willing to act on, an orientation yeah. for behavior um which has been extremely helpful thinking about these things because there's tons of christians who believe in supernaturalism who believe in miracles but when their doctor get or when their kid gets you know hurt their leg gets hurt or broken they take them to the doctor they don't pray they may pray as well but they take them to the doctor and so for me i'm like okay your behavior is saying what you truly believe and that's always the the base test for me because i think that that's the most useful that's why I don't put so much weight in propositional truths and propositional assertions and statements. I look to behavior, you know, yeah. I look to the consequences of people's beliefs rather than the propositions or the things right. they say. And you the know, world is filled with negative consequences because of these beliefs. I mean, look who's lining up for this Kavanaugh. And again, political conservatism, I really have no problem with, but I mean, like Twitter is lit up with anti-abortion anti-choicers, which I would guess, you know, I'm guessing, I don't have any information, but eight, eight or nine or 10 out of 10 of them have that position because of their churchy inclinations. Yeah. Well, they, I think that has become its own uh, I, idol. It, uh, you know, your stance on that now is its own shibboleth uh, right. for in-group, for in-group, uh, you know, uh, belonging. Right. And, and, and it's way out of proportion to what it actually is. And again, what you'll find, Ed, is that among Christians who are, have moved up in stages of faith, who are beyond level three, starting to get into level four, level five, uh, where they land on abortion is very different. And so the, the argument is not, um, the argument is how do we help people develop? How do we help people grow? How do we make it more attractive for people to seek out different thought that can still honor and incorporate where they've been while right. discarding those facets of it that are no longer adaptable. First, first of all, we start taxing re religious organizations so they, <laughs> so they don't thrive. I don't disagree, actually. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so the, that, that wouldn't help. be my first move. I think that's a move at some point. That was, that's not oh. the first move, Ed. Paul <laughs> Dawkins I'm interested to know where they ever got this charm status. What? Why do these religious organizations have fucking charm status? Fuck you! You don't get any more charm status than anybody else. To well, I get that, but how, 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 long, how long do you want to spend fighting about that and just recognize that that's where it is? Dude, I'm the actually, Supreme uh, Court wants to fucking overturn Roe v. Wade, for God's sake. I know. It's years. alarming. I get it. I mean, you know, the, 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 this, this, if, if there weren't things at stake, and we don't have to reference the 19 hijackers and, and all that entails. I mean, people have forgotten about that. I saw it live, you know, whatever. Maybe that's my backstory. I mean, the, the, this is the, the power of those beliefs where, where you can do immoral things, unethical things, but based on your belief, they're completely reasonable and the right thing to do, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is the problem. When you get away from secular humanism and the idea of human and animal well-being being the end game of morality and ethics and swapping that out for the ideas in a holy book that was written 25 centuries ago, I mean, 
I'll quote Harris again. We can either have a 21st century availing ourselves of everything we've come to learn in the last 25 centuries, or we can put the conversation in a fucking Iron Age fucking book of philosophy. I, mean, I agree. And then I just want Sam to take the next step and realize that emotion and love. And Dude, it's all he talk, talks about. You need to listen to him more. I okay. I, I probably do. I and I'm probably guilty of essentializing. Uh, no, no. Sam, Sam Harris. It's taken, but he does. He does. He talks about compassion endlessly. So I want. Here's the deal. If if I had two ways forward, uh, and and I'll take your point on plurality, and I'll just I'll be really obvious, uh, like it's not already totally obvious. If I had to choose Daryl Davis's way forward or Sam Harris's way forward. I would love to have a whole lot more Daryl Davises. And I want to be much more like Daryl Davis. Me too. And I, I want to, I want to stretch myself. I want to make myself uncomfortable in approaching people who have some of these, these horrible beliefs that are really hurting a lot of people. Uh, and I can certainly use a lot of what I learned from Sam. I've got Sam in my toolkit. So, so in my coming on strong, um, but the thing is, with regard to I, Sam, that's not totally fair. I'm just trying to I, add. I, I, I get you, dude. But, yeah. you know, I, I could, the Catholic Church is responsible for the rape generations of rape and torture. That's right. So how do we, so how do we, align, how do we align? So what are the leverage points? How do we align with those voices within Catholicism that could actually help change it? How, do, how can we strengthen the assisters and weaken the resistors in, in any worthy effort? That's what we need to be freaked out about. Yeah. And, and yes, it's horrible. Got it. We're there. Sold. Now, what are we going to do about it? How do we how do we promote those levers of change? That's what it's I all about. Now. I guarantee that Catholics, the everyday Catholics, the laymen, they believe in, you know, in God and they are part of that Catholicism, but they don't wish you know, I guarantee they don't want to be lumped in with that reputation. They don't want to be lumped in with uh, right. everything you just said, Ed. And so right, they yeah, are right. going to listen to the first articulate person, you know, who is engaging with their tradition saying, okay, here's a way forward. Here's a way out of, you know, all this nonsense yeah, yeah. that we've been allowing to happen. It's, you know, it's that's like the power of tradition and, and, and engaging with it. It's like our friend uh, Alex Bello in Mixed Mental Arts. I think, I'm not sure, I'm not 100% sure, but I think she either still considers herself a Catholic or she's still at least a little bit involved with the church. And she's like, she doesn't fall into that category at all of like Catholicism being really bad because she has like a similar understanding to Hayden in a way that these are useful metaphors and you don't need to believe any of these beliefs that seem to be very harmful yeah i i actually got to get going guys yeah um, well, i gotta wrap it up too uh, right. ed i dig where you're coming from i want to make it really clear that that uh you and i and this is the, it's human nature to focus on on the small differences and and you've I've undoubtedly heard the term no, the, no. The, the the narcissism of small differences right. <laughs> and how we how we too often heighten them. I am with you, Ed, on, I would guess, at least 90% of, yeah, of sure. where you are. It's the principle of charity. And it's more, and now it's just more about how can we be effective? How can we actually persuade these folks? Yeah, we need, yeah, I mean, yeah. You're, you're addressing stylistic changes to make the, the message 
more agreeable and 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 uh, that people will, will consider them more. I mean, the goal you say, what, I know we got to wrap it up with the, you know, how do we do it? Well, you know, push for secular humanism, push for separation of church and state. I mean, I live in a country that's, you know, 90%, we live in a country, uh, Andrew accepted, uh, you know, that is incredibly religious. And yet I don't want, I want separation of church and state, whatever people do. I didn't, I wasn't against the building of the mosque next, next to ground zero. I thought it was ridiculous. I, I mean, why is this even, this is America for God's sakes. If they have the money and they have the people that want to do it, this is, we don't fucking, we're not going down that road, dude. We are not going to turn into those kind of people. We have That's these right. freedoms and that guarantees my freedom and the other side's mm-hmm. freedom. And right on. just continue to have that conversation and get the world to understand. And, and you know, that was Harris's book with uh, Majid Nawaz, where Majid's point was, if you could separate the politics from the religion, a lot of the problems in the Middle East could go away. I mean, whether it's Islam and the future of tolerance. Yeah. So so that, that that's what we need to argue. And it's fun to yeah. argue. I mean, I love I want to hear more about Mormons because, you know, I'm just fascinated with the crazy shit. <laughs> I mean, how anybody could think that that guy knew any, I mean, it's just, I mean, I couldn't make up a crazy story. I mean, no, Scientology be- beats it, I guess. But Ed, we'll, we'll do our own episode at some point. And they're the loveliest, <laughs> the loveliest people. They don't harm a fucking fly. I mean, again, we should, I wanted to talk about missionaries because, I got a huge. I have to say, I got a huge problem with missionaries. What do they do? They go there with their fucking Bible. They're spreading more books. Well, well, and a Book of Mormon, Ed, or a Book of Mormon. <laughs> no, and both. A terrible, even a worse plagiarism than the Quran. Even a more. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I've actually been working on a pragmatic argument for missions, uh, even with what you just said in mind, which is I, I've just been. Um, I just yeah, listened to a podcast. This guy, this scholar did a, just wrote a book on, you know, doing a study on uh, missions, specifically Christian missions into, you know, other countries from the West and showing how, if not the missionaries themselves, their children especially become changed by their multiple multiple cultural um, experience and become way less radicalized, way more liberalized and all these different things. So if anything, um, you know, these people going over with this idea of I have the message, I'm going over to, to preach it. They themselves are transformed from their experience. And I know I'll, a lot of missionaries I'll, who can attest to that. I'll have to affirm I am much more of a pluralist, sure. uh, metaphysically, politically, yeah. et cetera, because of my time in Ecuador and seeing the reality there. And and that's where, you know, um, a lot of compassion. Yeah, ideals that ideals that didn't have practical value, you just had to kind of go, well, okay, we're just going to kind of bracket them for a while. Mm-hmm. How do we help these people? You know, yeah. and so I'm, I'm really, I am, I'm always grateful for that experience. Well, Adam, now you got to go back there and and tell them, listen, I was glad I helped, and it was incredibly rewarding for me, but I want to wholeheartedly apologize. Or push a bunch of bullshit, yeah. bullshit on that you. would be good. I, That's I want right. No, abandon all that nonsense and get it all without believing anything on Instagram. Uh, I would like to do that, that myself, actually. <laughs> hey, Andrew, how about one just quick summary statement from each one of us? Can we do that to, to close sure. out? Sure. 
for the record for the record it is pretty religious in canada here too especially where i where i grew up here because i i got told by some fundamentalist christians when i was a kid that i would go to hell if i don't believe in jesus that's but great. I think we should all evangelize the message of Daryl Davis. That's my evangelical statement. Love is right better on. than hate, right? <laughs> well, I'll just, I'll just offer mine. And uh, no matter where you want to source this from, from whatever tradition, love is the way forward. And I, I think real love is wise and it and is discerning and it's not naive. It cares enough to actually... Um, battle test what it would bring forward how how it would actually act in the world and um i i am concerned that our country um has a shortage of love right now and i i think we could we would actually make more progress on our political differences if uh there actually were more love well said Mm -hmm. well i'll second that for sure um, and I agree with all of that. I would say that um, you can have all these things that we want, um, that we all are pointing towards without believing nonsense that works to separate us. Right on. And um, admitting that you don't know something, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I, my conversations with believers, they have an incredibly difficult time because they've been introduced to questions about the meaning of life and why we're here. And, and they seem to demand answers to questions that are either bad questions or questions that'll never can't be answered because it's a question that isn't a valid question. And better to focus on pragmatically, uh, to use the word again, and to to be intellectually honest about what we know and what we don't know, and to be humble, and to recognize ultimately that our goals are much more shared than we talk about. And we need to do a hell of a lot more than that. Right on. Yep. I totally agree. Thank you. Um, I would just reiterate a point that I made a couple times, which is the basic idea that what what you believe about the human being will materialize in your behaviors, in your philosophy, in all of your actions and practices and views. And so what you believe in what the human being is capable of is going to, you know, materialize in your politics and how you go about trying to persuade people. And so I think that believing that people are, are people are capable of the best, capable of the ideal, capable of making positive change is a prerequisite to actually engaging with them in a positive way. And I think that meeting people where they actually are, um, maybe even engaging with their tradition where they are and walking with them through that open, open-minded, open-handed, saying that I think I have things to learn from you Perhaps we can work together and walk forward. I think that that is um, a much more beneficial way of persuasion, you know, than all the, you know, all the straw men we've been bringing up, you know, the idiot the or the jerk, the, the asshole, the, you know, super fundamentalist, whatever. 
Um, you know, I think we all agree that the person who is a lot more open and honest, and I really appreciate that with Ed, you know, I said on a previous episode that we've both been coming to this, you know, really open and respectful, even though we argue and we enjoy arguing, <laughs> we're, we're open to, you know, having our perspective widen. I think that that is yeah. the only way, if not the best way to come at, you know, any kind of persuasion at all. Um, but yeah, so that's my last word. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, like- thank you. Thank you so much for creating this venue, man. This is, this yes. is fantastic. Thank you so much to all of you for participating. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun and I hope we can do it again. I, I've said this before, Andrew, to a lot of people uh, out of your presence. You are doing an incredible job being a connector and bridger of other people. Um, you obviously get like a lot of satisfaction out of it, and I think you're doing a really good job. And I really like that your show is kind of becoming that um, because I don't think there's a lot of connectors out there who are creating a space to bring other people, not just to spout your own ideas, which is very philosophically humble of you which i really appreciate so i thought i should just say that thanks a lot man i really appreciate that